Thank you, Seth. Thanks for using your gifts for the glory of the Lord. Let's start our study of the gospel community today in the book of Exodus, chapter 31. If you are a guest, this is your first Sunday with us. We are actually walking through Romans 12 at a very slow place as we talk about the gospel community and what it means to be the gospel community. We've done a study on the book of Galatians and the gospel word. And the truth is the gospel word should nourish the gospel community and the gospel word should shape the gospel community. It tells us what we should be about and what we should look like. And so we've been in a, in a series now then in Romans 12 of what does it look like when the gospel plays out in our daily lives. Today we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in the gospel community. And uh, spiritual gifts are talked about a lot in Baptist churches. So it's, uh, it's just like any other Sunday. So... Uh, It'd be a good chance for us to be here. We begin in Exodus 31. Here's what it says in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishmach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that's on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand, and all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. A couple things as we start here in Exodus before we move to Romans. One, just imagine if you're Bezalel or you're Aholiab, and all of a sudden you can do something you couldn't do the day before. And particularly with regard to craftsmanship and skills. And I pray that all the time because I can still only build two things, jack and squat. That's all I can do. I've got, I've got no skills. I've got no man card. I've got a Philippians 127 card when it comes to craftsmanship. Uh, I still have a scar where Byron and Charlie helped, helped me in my attic. And we, and we took off uh, the steps that go up to the attic. And they're spring-loaded, in case you don't know that. And they will bite back. And I have the mark uh, to remind me that I am no Bezalel. And I am no Aholiab. I think uh, it must have been incredible to, to uh, experience the Spirit of the Lord to come on you and being able to be gifted and to see, well, here's how this is built. Well, here's how you do that. And some of you have these gifts already. You can picture things and can build it and move toward it. One of the things that uh, we see here in Exodus is he keeps talking about the tent of meeting. We know that in the early days there was no temple. There was no bubble. But we are, we're probably more similar to what they were today than most other congregations. Uh, they had a tent of meeting and ultimately it would be a tabernacle. And God is giving incredible instructions of what is to be in there. Now how many of you know it would be something for God to give instructions but give you no means to accomplish that? It would be, uh, how many of you think that would be a very difficult task? How many of you think it would be difficult if God expected something of them but gave them no provision toward that? 
And here's what I love about God. All that he expects from us, he provides for us. Anyone ever heard me say that before? No, not once ever, right? All God expects from us, he provides for us. And he expects these things. He says, just as I've commanded uh, at the end of verse 11. But what he does is he provides all they'll need to build this tent of meeting, to build this tabernacle, and all the elements that will go into it, God uh, provided for that. Now, let me ask you. In the Old Testament, you'll move from the tabernacle, you'll move to the temple, ultimately. Who built the temple? Was it David? No, it was Solomon, right? Solomon built the temple. And then it's going to be destroyed, and then someone's going to come back and help with the rebuilding of the temple. Who was that? That was Ezra, right? In the New Testament, uh, where is the temple? Well, if you think about the one that Herod rebuilt, uh, it was ultimately destroyed in 70 A.D., and so there is no longer a temple uh, for all of our eschatology fans. We'll know that end times have come when they start building the temple, right? That's what we all uh, learned. And Rick, Rick has done a paper. And so for the next band of brothers, next Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, Rick is actually going to do a teaching on the temple. So all you guys, 7 o'clock next Sunday in the Fellowship Hall, Rick will do a, a teaching. But what we know from the New Testament, friends, is that we are the temple. We are the temple. It's no longer about a specific one location. We are that. And so I want you to turn to Ephesians now. Turn to Ephesians. So we go from Exodus. Now we go in the New Testament to Ephesians. Do you think God provides less for the New Testament building than he did for the Old Testament building? Do you think he provides less for the tent in the Old Testament than he does for his New Testament dwelling place? This is the very place that he will dwell with his people. And I would say to you, no, he doesn't care less he cares of equal value of where he will dwell with his people and building his people up in ephesians chapter 2 it says this beginning in verse 18 of ephesians 2 for through him talking about christ we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so in the Old Testament, you have the tabernacle, then you have the temple. But what we see in the New Testament is we are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple. And as Paul chastises those men at Corinth that were sleeping with temple prostitutes, he says, do you not know that you're the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, therefore glorify God in your body. We are the dwelling place, and it says that we're being built by the Spirit together with those that have gone before us, and the cornerstone of all of it is Christ Jesus. The question then becomes, how then does the Spirit build us? Obviously, the Spirit does a work of regeneration in our life, but what does the continual construction process look like, and does God provide for that? And you find that answer in Ephesians 4, which we covered a little bit last week as we talked about the body. In Ephesians 4, Beginning in verse 15, it says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So just as in the Old Testament, you have two guys, you have Bezalel and you have Aholiab, and they're gifted with what's needed to provide for the building of the tent of meeting in the tabernacle ultimately just as god provided for what was needed for that physical building friends he provides for what's needed for the spiritual building 
And what he does is he gives us gifts in different ways and says we're built by the Spirit. Well, what does the Spirit do? Friends, it's not rocket science. The Spirit doesn't just do a work without us taking part. Our participation is involved. And what he's done is he's distributed gifts around us for the purpose of building us up together in one. So his provision in the Old Testament is no less than his provision in the New Testament. God is giving us gifts. So then that would bring us to a very important part, friend. Are you using the gifts the Lord has given you for the building up of others, the building up of the body of God? Are you participating? Is God's work of grace in your life flowing through then strengthening the faith of others? If we're not strengthening the faith of others, then we really have no clue what spiritual gifts are. And so that's why it is the Lord's providence that we get to spend time in Romans 12 today because God still is building his church, friends, but he's not using wood and he's not using carving tools. He's using his spirit and he's using gifts he's given us to refine and to shape and to build his building ultimately with the purpose. What is it that's produced when they all work together? What is it? It's love. Love is the ultimate outcome. Love should be producing us. And should the Lord give us a few weeks and we come back to Romans 12, we're going to see in specific ways what that love looks like, not just some uh, indefinable word that we can't figure out. We're going to see that it's, that it's uh, how it all comes together. But we want to know that the motivation is love. The purpose is it gifts, and gifts are not an end in themselves, friends. Gifts are a means to an end. And the gifts are for the purpose that we would be built up in love and that we would be further conformed to the image of Christ. All right, so I want you to turn to Romans 12, and we're going to start our time in verses 6 through 8. And I'll ask you to stand together as we read Romans 12, 6 through 8, and ask the Lord to give us wisdom and insight how these gifts come together for the building of the New Testament temple, which is his church and his people, and what role we might play in that and if we are doing our part. Beginning in verse 6, here's what Paul writes. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we've been journeying through Romans 12, and we are grateful for your provision of Scripture, that you uh, had it written down and recorded for us, and you've preserved it from generation to generation, that we may encounter it today. Father, we pray for your Spirit to light it up to us. We see that in the Old Testament, you gifted two guys and others with them to be able to craft what was necessary for the physical tent of meeting. Certainly, you've provided all that's necessary for your spiritual temple You've provided the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. Without Jesus, there would be no access to you, as it says in Ephesians 2. And so his great sacrifice is the cornerstone of the entire spiritual temple of yours. But we know that your spirit is a part of empowering and building up the church. And the way that your spirit works is not just mysteriously completely. You distribute gifts. And as we use these gifts to encourage one another, to strengthen each other's faith, to serve one another, then we build each other up ultimately in love. And we see the reminder that each part is to be working properly. So, Father, would you use the study of Romans 12 to not only use the gospel to change how we use our bodies or think with our minds, but how we think about the church and understand that we are one body and we each have a part to play in this. 
I pray now that your spirit would guide us, teach us, change us from your word. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Very simple outline uh, on spiritual gifts. There's lots of ways you could go with spiritual gifts and much more than could be accomplished in one sermon. We could spend an entire sermon just on the very first gift, prophecy, and what it means. There have been entire conferences on the one gift, prophecy, and what does it mean today and what it looks like. But a very simple outline from Romans 12, 6 through 8 this morning is we have gifts, we have different gifts, we have different gifts to be used. I pray that you will take this and tell everyone about how deep your pastor is and, and how you're challenged often to just ponder things you've never considered. So a very simple outline from Romans 12. We have gifts, we have different gifts, we have different gifts to be used. You know, if you have a gift and you're not using it, it's really not doing anybody any good, is it? If you have a saw, I have a saw that sits on the top of a shelf in my in my garage, and it's pretty. And there's a lot of dust it holds. There's a lot of dust, but uh, it's not being used for what it was created for. In the same way, gifts aren't just to be collected, friends. Gifts are to be used for the good of one another and for God's glory. We're going to see this. So let's jump right in. We've been reading through it, and so just, just to get the gist of the context, the big argument, again, Romans... 12.1 says that we should live lives of worship. Romans 12.2 says that we'll do this as our minds are renewed. Romans 12.3 says that as our minds are renewed, we'll think different about ourselves. We won't be as arrogant because we'll consider our faith, that it comes from God and that it's in God. So it's tough to boast about ourselves when you're completely dependent on God for the entire work. Then we find that the gospel changes how we think about the church. He says we're one body and we all have parts. And last week we, we, we have roles to play. We saw last week too individually members one of another that's how verse five ends that individually we're members one of another and it's so much more than just the people who meet at the same time on sunday mornings in the same place but it's about doing life together and pastor byron has encouraged me i used ben and rebecca as a, an example last week because they're about to have twins and and how the, the responsibility is not just uh ben and rebecca's but it's our responsibility as well that's what it means to be the gospel community. But just in case any of you were slow in connecting the dots, uh, as counsel to me was, uh, I challenged the young professionals class to really see how they could minister to Ben and Rebecca. There are other people who are pregnant in our body. And, uh, and so just in case your Sunday school class wasn't connecting one and two together, if there are folks in your class that are expecting a baby, that baby's not just their responsibility either. It's yours too. How can you minister and how can you engage in them? There are others in our midst that are going through health problems. It's not just their problem, friend. It's our problem. What can we do to be individually members one of another? And that doesn't happen when you just drive in on Sunday and then you go back about your business and then you drive in on Sunday and you go back about your business. That's not the gospel community. That's just people who meet at the same place. And there are a lot of organizations that do that. But the gospel changes what we do with our schedule and our time. Particularly then, as we're one body, he says, look, we, we have different members. We have different roles to play. And he says in verse 6, then, having gifts that differ. But before we even get to the differ, we just want to begin on the first two words, having gifts. Uh, the spiritual truth from this passage is God gives us gifts. We have gifts. Each person in the gospel community is gifted by the Spirit. So how many people in the gospel community? All, yeah, I phrased it rough for you. Do I say each or all? Do I say each or all? All right. All of us have it. Each person. So turn to the person next to you and say, if you're in Christ, you have a gift. If you're not in Christ, 
Let's get with it. All right, what's going on? All right, you're holding us all back. So if you're in Christ, you have a gift. The gospel community, each one of us has a gift. Here's where I get that from. Listen to these verses, and I've put them there in your outline so that you can have them. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. Was there any word that was repeated besides A and D that you heard? What was it? Each. Yeah, so just so you know, I tend to get teaching from the Bible. Just wanted you to know that. So each person, each one of us in the gospel community is gifted by the Spirit. And these gifts are gifts of grace. He says here, if we read on in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So each of us have gifts, and these gifts are gifts of grace. The word behind gifts here is the word charismata. What does that sound like? Sounds like charismatic. We'll come back to that. Charismatic. It's grace given to Christians, enabling them to serve the church of Christ, the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating on their souls by the Holy Spirit. You're going to see having gifts, the word gifts is charismatic there in the, new lang- in the language of the New Testament, that differ according to the grace given to us. So gifts is charismatic. Grace is charis or charis. But I have a friend whose daughter is Karis, so they call her Karis. It's grace. So the gifts, the, the root word in gifts is grace. These are gifts of grace that are to us. And honest part, friend, I'm charismatic. We're all charismatic. So we, we, we tend to think charismatic, and we tend to think mainly of sign gifts and outrageous things. The truth is, friend, every church is charismatic. We have gifts of grace. They're all gifts of grace. And what it means for these to be gifts of grace are... We don't earn them. We don't earn them. And if it's a gift, you're receiving it, right? You're receiving it, and we receive them because of God's unmerited favor. So it's not if you're really extra special, you get the gift of teaching. It's not if you're really extra special, you get the gift of giving. It's not if you're really extra special, you get the gift of tongues. It's, it's not anything to do with you, friends. It is sovereign distribution, not human preference, all right? These are gifts of grace, not gifts of earnings, And so we want to see here that each of us are given a gift, and these gifts are gifts of grace. These gifts are also distributed according to divine will and not human preference. I didn't add this on your outline, but it's something I want to make sure you get before we move from this little bullet point. These gifts are distributed according to divine will and not human preference. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Romans 12, 3 tells us that our faith, that God has assigned, right? And these graces that are given to us, who is it that's deciding who gets what? It's God. So the thing that I want to say is we don't get to pick our gifts. If left to our own, we would most likely be like the church at Corinth that seeks the flashier, what they believe to be the more prominent gifts. If left to our own, that's what many of us would be because we want to be the important people. We want to be the ones that everybody knows about. And, uh, you know, I, I learned early about that. My home church growing up did a Christmas play. And we would always do Christmas musicals and 
You know, and I'll never forget the year that everyone wants to be Joseph because Joseph gets to hang out with Mary, you know. And uh, and then, of course, there, there are those who, uh, you, you want to be that because that's a prominent role, unless you're the three wise men, and then you get to bling-bling it, right? You know, and then you get to roll in like you're rich and powerful. And, and just as the word says, we know there were three, right? And uh, just kidding. So anyway, so many, so many things here. Well, the role that God divinely appointed for me to play was the donkey. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, I, that was good preparation, I guess, for future. But uh, no one steps up and is they're like, here are these roles. Someone's like, I won't be the donkey. I want to be the donkey. But you know what? There had to be a donkey, right? It had to be a Christmas. How did Mary get to Bethlehem, peeps? Right? It wasn't a Ferrari. It was a donkey, right? And so I was important, people. So... One of these things that we see, we tend to be the one that wants to be the wise man. We want to be Joseph. The girls want to be, I'm Mary. And Tara has a really funny story because she was Mary, but her mom doesn't even remember it. And so just hearing them go about it, that's worth a lunch conversation. So we want the flashier. Here's what we remember, friends. These gifts are sovereignly distributed. They're sovereignly distributed. And it's not because of anything in us that we've earned a special gift. It's because of God's grace to us. How is it then that we are content? How is it then that we're not jealous of people who have different gifts? Well, one, we're remembering that we're a body and all parts are necessary, right? The heart can't say to the foot, get out of here. The foot's like, take a walk, right? You can't do it. You need me. We need each other. But here's the thing I want to submit to you. Remember what we studied, studied in verse 2? Not to be conformed, got to be what? Transformed. How? Through the renewing of our mind. When our mind is renewed, look back in verse 2. Here's what it says. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you know how we don't get jealous at each other getting different gifts and what we may perceive as more prominent gifts? The way we don't get jealous is we, our renewed minds help us understand God has distributed the gifts. All right? He gives according to he wills. How many of you would say God makes mistakes? Anyone? Anyone? Good. We don't have to have counsel later. God makes no mistakes. So if he's distributing, then we would say there's no mistake in the gifts that I've received. So our renewed mind helps us understand God's distributing. He makes no mistakes. And then from verse 2, we see that what he does, good, acceptable, and perfect. So our renewed mind helps us see if I have this gift of leadership, then it's good, acceptable and perfect it's what god wants he's given it our renewed minds also help us in verse three not to think more highly of ourselves than we should and think that we deserve a more prominent role we deserve to play a more important part friends if we meditate on verse three then we'll realize we don't deserve grace to begin with we certainly don't deserve gifts of grace beyond that and so the renewed mind helps us to be humble and say we've received mercy it also helps us to remember that the church belongs to God. It's purchased by his son. And he has an eternal plan that he's been working. We've been on the scene for 30, 40, 80 years. He's been on the scene from the very beginning. And he has a plan that he's working. He loves the church deeply. And as he distributes it, it's according to his sovereign wisdom and his plan. And our hearts become inclined to his. And we say, this is good. This is your will. This is what you've planned for us. And it keeps us from being arrogant. The other thing I would say, you know, Paul says, seek the higher gifts. But he says the main thing that matters above all else, love. So what I would say to you, if you want to seek something prominent, seek love. Seek the manifestation of love. 
living out because then it will be about how you serve one another and not about you and your glory and how you're needed and you're important and you're necessary. Friend, if every one of us stopped coming and we weren't here next week, the Lord's church will continue on. And the Lord's church will continue on. But in the meantime, he has sovereignly planned that while we're here, he uses us in each other's lives, and he has distributed these gifts. So we have gifts. These gifts are gifts of grace, and they're distributed according to his divine plan. All right, number two, we have different gifts. Look at the rest of verse 6, having gifts that differ. How many of you know this could be a very long sermon if we're just to the fourth word in this verse? I'm just kidding. It won't be because we have lunch today. So lunch, more important sermon, right? Having gifts that differ. We have different gifts. So we do not all have the same gift, nor does any one of us have all the gifts. We don't all have the same gift. And I love that because then we all look exactly alike. It would be boring. Although many of us think if more people were like me, it would be a lot better. I know there's some of you that think that. You think if we were more like you, then it would all be good. No, friend, uh, it would not be, all right? I just use myself as the test case. If we were more like me, we would be wretched and worse. It would be a bad situation. So God has sovereignly planned that we don't all have the same gift, nor does any one of us have all the gifts. And I think we should be leery of congregations in which it seems everyone has the same gift. How, how is that, that everyone has the same gift? That it's very unique that they all gathered in the same place. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God. I hope you heard the Trinitarian reference that was in that verse. Who empowers them all in everyone. First Peter 4.10 is, is good stewards of God's varied grace. So it's not just that we have gifts, friends. We have different gifts. How do we know they're different? Well, we've got a list right here in 6 through 8. And these, this list that we'll read can be divided into two categories. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts, as we see here in 6 through 8. Here's what uh, we see. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We see seven gifts, that, and I just did six. I did number six. We see seven gifts, right? Seven of them in this text right here. <laughs> There's seven of them. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, contributing, leadership, and mercy. So we see that we have gifts, and these are just examples of different gifts. Is this the only text in the New Testament that talks about spirit, uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit? No, it's not. There are five texts, and I've listed them there in your outline as well, so that after this you can go and read. You see 1 Corinthians 7, 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Ephesians 4, 11, and then 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. There are five texts that deal with spiritual gifts in the New Testament. How many additional spiritual gifts do you think are listed in those passages? Fifteen. You guys are smart. You can read. That's right. Fifteen. All right. There are fifteen additional gifts. And I've listed them for you. Here's what you'll see in these passages. You'll see apostle miracles, kinds of healings, helps, administration, tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, distinguishing between spirits, interpretation of tongues, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and then even marriage and celibacy in 1 Corinthians 7 are listed as gifts 
of the Spirit. I can tell you one of those I never prayed for in my life. But this is what we will see about spiritual gifts. This is the list. There are 22 of them. Now, in Romans 12, our conversation is limited to speaking and serving. The other category that they often use to describe spiritual gifts are sign gifts, such as tongues or healing. It's not in this context, and that could take us down a whole road, a whole other sermon in its journey. So we're going to set that to the side and deal with what our context is. The one thing that I will say that tends to be prevalent in certain areas as you deal with tongues, there is a thought that people say tongues are necessary for salvation. The only thing that I would say to you, friends, Paul asked questions in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. He says, are all apostles, are all doing works of healing, do all speak in tongues? And the answer to these questions are obvious, no. And if all don't speak in tongues, then I'm not sure how we would say that tongues are necessary for salvation. I would say that anything that goes beyond Christ is not biblical, friends. And it is adding to the gospel. And remember what Paul said in the beginning of Galatians? Anyone that adds to that, let them be cursed. So that's the one thing that I, one caveat that I want to say as we think about sign gifts. And we can have conversations later and we, we do need further teaching of what, what these are. But three broad categories, speaking, serving, and sign gifts. Why are there different gifts? Well, God's designed it this way. All right, again, rocket science. But why is he designed it this way? He's designed it this way so that diversity would promote dependence. We need each other. I can't do it all, so I need you to help in this process. You can't do it all, so you need me. And even through that diversity, that unity would be produced rather than division. It's really interesting that sometimes in diversity, there tends to be division rather than unity. The whole purpose was that we would be unified, not angry and split up or against each other. We need each other. This is the way he's designed it. Just as a football team, they don't all play quarterback. They don't all play offensive line. They don't all play running back. They have different roles, and this is the way he's designed it. If they're going to move the ball down the field, they need each other, and each person has to play that part. Same thing with us. Two important notes. There are 22 gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Do you think those are all the gifts the Spirit gives? You think that's exhaustive? You think that's it? I'll give you the answer I already have in your text. The two important notes, the list of 22, I would say, is not exhaustive. I would say it's a good place to start. It's a good place to think about how may I be gifted. But I would say to you it's not exhaustive. And the reason is this. I believe that spiritual gifts are any ability the Spirit gives you to express your faith in order to strengthen another person. If we begin to think that spiritual gifts are only what's in this list, then we will fail to realize that when the Spirit gives us an ability that will strengthen someone others, somebody else's faith, friend, that's a gift of grace. That's a spiritual gift that the Lord has given us. I think, number two, rigidly defining and distinguishing these gifts may be more harmful than helpful. Here's what I mean by that. Folks will say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, don't have to do it. I don't have the gift of mercy. I don't have to be merciful to you, buddy. I don't have the gift of generosity. It's my money, right? So what happens when we say, it's not my gift, we say, well, I don't have to operate in that. But aren't all believers called to serve? Aren't all believers? Christ sets this example for us. Ephesians 4.12, where it says that he gives pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists to build the body up for the work of the ministry. The word for ministry there is the word service that we would all serve. So in one way, we're all to serve. Number two, aren't all believers called to teach? Aren't all believers? Deuteronomy 6 says that moms and dads are supposed to teach somebody. Who are they supposed to teach? 
their children. The Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and doing something. What, what's that next part? And, <laughs> and teaching them. Okay, all right. So in one sense, we're all supposed to teach. Aren't all believers called to give generously? So if you take this and say, well, it says the one who contributes, they do it in generosity. But 2 Corinthians 8 says we're all supposed to be cheerful, sacrificial givers. And uh, aren't all believers called to be merciful? The last one, it ends in our list in verse 8, says the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And isn't Jesus who says, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're all called to this. So what I want to say to you is that there is some overlap in all of these gifts. Now, what I think is that some of us will excel in these areas, and I'll tell you in a little bit how you can recognize if that's your gift or not. But what I want to prevent you from doing is being so rigid that you think, I don't have that gift, I don't have to display that. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, really, we should display each of these things. These things should be true of all of us, so we want to be very careful. There's overlap in, in how words are even uh, exchanged in the New Testament. Um, let me get us then to how we discover what our gift is. This is point three in our outline. We have different gifts to be used. So we have gifts, we have different gifts, and we have different gifts to be used. Look in verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. What a novel thought. We would actually use gifts and not just collect them. I'll trade you evangelism for generosity. I'll take two prophets for one apostle, you know? So then we're not collecting them. These aren't baseball cards, right? They're to be used. And what are they to be used for? The purpose of spiritual gifts is that they would be used to strengthen the faith of others and certainly the glory of God. We'll end there in our time. But the purpose of a spiritual gift is that we would strengthen one another. That's why we're a body, and that's why we have different roles, that we're going to strengthen one another as these gifts play out, as they're developed in us. First Peter 4.10 Peter writes and he says, as you're given these gifts, use it to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that these gifts are for the common good. So the purpose of these gifts is for one another. One has defined it to say a spiritual gift is any ability given by the Holy Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. Let me pause right there and just say, how is God using you to strengthen the faith of others? Are you being used to strengthen the faith of others, friend? And in what ways is that playing out? And that's going to help you identify what your gifts are. I'll I'll say more of that. No matter what abilities we have, if we are not relying on God and not aiming to help others rely on him, our ability is not a spiritual gift. Our ability is not a spiritual gift. If we're not relying on God and we're not seeing it produce, uh, increase faith in the lives of others, It's not a spiritual gift, friends. It's a work of us. Our greatest problem, though, is not knowing. We tend to think, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. That's why I wanted to spend our concluding time of helping you be be able to identify that. We say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I think that's not our our main problem. Uh, I think our main problem is not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. I think that we become so encapsulated and so selfish that we don't wake up and say, God, use me to strengthen others today for your glory. I think not knowing what our gift is isn't, isn't the most dangerous problem. It's not giving a rip about others. It's more dangerous and more destructive to the church and more limiting to the church. If we do not have concern one for another, friends, then we are clueless about the gospel community. We have not grasped our responsibilities and what it means to be one body and individually members one of another. 
And so that's our greatest problem. What we want to pray is say, God, give me regard for my brothers and sisters. Give me concern and burden for my brothers and sisters. And then figuring out what our gift is. How can I figure out what my gift is? Is it service? Is it teaching? Is it exhortation? I want to give you three things that on your list. I think there are three things you should look for in identifying. And I think using these gifts as opportunities arise and you meet a need in, in a certain way, I think this is a better way to identify your spiritual gifts than the spiritual gift inventories. Any of you ever taken the spiritual gift inventory? And here's my point on that. If the 22 that are listed are not all that there is in a sense, then aren't our inventories listed if they're just these 22? This is it. This is what you got to be kind of thing. When yet if, if it's a work of grace that the Lord uses in us to strengthen a brother or a sister. And so I, I think that not that those can't be helpful, friends. I think the better way to identify your gift are these three things. Here's the first thing, joy. As you work to meet this need, there's joy in you. There's passion in you. You're excited about it. It's not like, dog, i got to give money. Dog, i got to give an encouraging word. Oh, man, i got to be merciful. Ugh. Hey, it's okay, right? That's probably not your gift, okay? If you are begrudgingly doing it, it's probably not your gift. When it's your gift, friend, there's joy in the exercise of it. There's passion. There's desire. You want to do it. You want to engage in this way. Number two, there's fruitfulness. It's actually effectual when God uses you in this way. If your activity is not bearing fruit and helping other people grow in faith, it's probably not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are not just natural abilities used in church. Spiritual gifts are enabled forms of love that over time build up other people. So here's what I mean. If you think you have the gift of exhortation, so encouraging others, but no one is helped by your words, you probably don't have that gift, all right? If there's no fruit from it, if you're like, I really want to encourage you, but afterward people come away more discouraged and in depression, that may not be your gift, all right? If you think you have the gift of teaching, but no one is growing in joyful grasp of the ways of God, so if you teach it and they come away with it more convoluted than the very beginning, teaching may not be your gift. And some of you would say, Pastor, we need to talk after this, all right? I understand, all right? So, all right, if you think you have the gift of service, but in your attempts you make others feel insulted, you probably don't. In other words, one of the measures of our spiritual gifts is that others are actually spiritually helped, all right? Look for the joy. You enjoy it. And two, there's fruit. There's a building in their lives. There's an effectualness to God working through you to increasing their faith in Him and the building up of the body. And number three would be confirmation from others. There are others who would say, man, God really used you in this way. I think all of us, we, we readily identify, as, as Pastor Byron uses his musical gifts countless times, I hear you encourage him and would help identify and say, I think clearly God has blessed you in this way. And the encouragement that it is for us and the building up for us, the gain that comes from that. There, we see that there's confirmation from others. You know, when, when I actually became a camp pastor for the very first summer, I, I had an opportunity to uh, work a Christian sports camp by Lifeway called Crosspoint. I guess it was very foreshadowing. And so I worked this, this uh, camp called Crosspoint and uh, just began to teach. And at different times I, I would have opportunities, you know, to, to teach for the staff. At the end of the summer, the rest of my staff just kind of gathered around and said, we think you should apply to be a camp pastor. We think that, that, that God has gifted you in this way. And it was so funny because... It never dawned on me. I never thought about it. 
I didn't see it. I thought they were crazy. And so the next summer, I ended up working an infuge camp at Belmont. So I was given a chance to be pastor at Cross Point the following summer, but I just felt arrogant in that. And I, and I felt like others had affirmed that, but I didn't see it. So I worked this infuge camp in, uh, in Nashville. Well, it just so happened as the summer rolled along, the camp pastor was in a, in a staff meeting, and he was wrestling with another guy, and he actually got knocked unconscious in that meeting, uh, in that staff meeting. So that's never happened here. By- Byron and Kevin and I have never been like, let's wrestle. This meeting's boring. Details and calendar, forget it. Let's wrestle. <laughs> it may happen this week, but it hasn't so far, right? So the camp pastor gets knocked out. And next thing I know, uh, these folks, they, they show up at the site that I was leading. I was just a small group. So, you know, I was doing inner city sports camps in Nashville. And I was at my site, and they show up, and they say, hey, Daniel got knocked out. You got to preach today. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I go. And would you know how God sovereignly works things? The guy who was over all of the camp pastors for Fuge just happened to be in the audience that one night of the summer. And I didn't know it, but I just went. And I went back and said, God, what's the word that you have for these people? And it was a word from Exodus. And I gave that word, and it just so happened that that man was there that night. And for the rest of the summers, I would end up being camp pastor, actually for the last 14 now. But with with the journey of how God moves. And if God's gifted, I find it funny, friend, I ran from it and said, no, no, I'm not going to do this. And yet where I ran was exactly where the Lord would have me to be and, and use that. And so I say that to say, friends, there may be others who would identify you and affirm it and say, look, this is how God's using you. Here's how he's used you in my life. And so a recognition of that. You don't get that from from a just a spiritual gifts inventory. Let me give you some final thoughts on using our spirit-given gifts. And they're, they're limit, uh, listed for you. I would say, uh, first of all, it's a limited time frame. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away, friends. And, and so while we have these spiritual gifts, they're meant to be used now. When Jesus comes and we're glorified, uh, there will be something different. And there will be a greater experience than we've than we've ever had, but it won't be for the same purposes that we've had these gifts now, for the building up of the church, for the spread of the gospel. And so here's why I would beg you. This is, our, this is our opportunity. This is our time. Seize it. Don't waste it. These gifts are to be used now for this body and any other body that the Lord may send us to benefit and to pour into, all right? So there's a limited time frame on these, so don't waste it. Number two, weakness can come with infrequent use. Paul just reminds Timothy, look, fan to flame the gift that you've given and of course we used to always say you don't use it you lose it kind of concept but but in here i would just if we're not using that gift very much weakness can come in that area and so we want to use it frequently as the lord gives us opportunities we want to be faithful i've already shared with you ephesians 4 that the whole purpose of it is that the body would be built up in love this is what we're aiming for we're not aiming to be those who are like look at all of our gifts Look at how gifted we are. We are the most gifted church in Baton Rouge. And the purpose of all of it is love. That's the point. If, it's, if we have the focus on the gifts, then we have missed it. We are now focusing on the means rather than the end. And the means to the end is love. And here's where I want us to end. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Just a, a good reminder as we close. Close our time in the Word this morning. Of the ultimate purpose 
for these gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the purpose of these gifts, friends, is that in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I want to close by issuing some challenges to you and asking some questions. Friends, if you're not in Christ, then you can't build the church of Christ. It says that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, if you've never yielded your life to Christ, then you can't participate fully in all that we've covered today. There are only works of you, and what we've talked about today are all works of grace and works of the Spirit. So it's you who would receive glory in these things. We want to say to you, as Paul says, be reconciled to God. There's no other substitute who's atoned for our sin than Jesus Christ. Yield your life to Christ. We want to beg you to, to uh, be reconciled to him. The second thing that I would say to you, friends, don't miss what it said in verse 10. We use our gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Church, I would ask us, are you being a good steward with the gift that God has entrusted to you or the gifts or the gift mix? Because there are going to be shades of this. We may have a gift of evangelism, but it takes different shades and varying degrees. The question is, are you being good, a good steward of what God has entrusted to you? As he's given you joy for something and has used it in the past to bring fruitfulness in the life of others, what are you doing with it? Because you will give an account. You're going to give an account for if you've used your gifts to build up his body. And that's why I would in, encourage us are you serving one another? And that's why we continue to say to folks who, who uh, attend but don't connect, who don't become members, friends, uh, the purpose is to connect and intentionally join and say, I'm going to be a part of this community, and we're going uh, to serve here, and it's going to be for the upbuilding. And so we want to encourage you to do that. But to our other folks who are in this, are you using your gifts in this way? Serve one another. And then even in the... And the last part, that God would be glorified. This would be a great prayer for you to pray for our congregation and our sister congregations in the church in Baton Rouge. God, use your people. Use the gifts you've given that you would be glorified in all things in Crosspoint. You would be glorified in all things in the church in Baton Rouge and your global church. That it would be for our good and your glory. I would encourage you to commit to pray in these ways. Friends, we conclude our time in, in this passage of Romans 12, 3 through 8, and should the Lord give us two weeks, when I come back, we'll pick up in verse 9 to say, all right, when all the parts are working, here's what it looks like in our lives as love plays out. But that's never going to happen if you and I don't do our part. So I want to ask you, what needs to change in your life that you would be obedient to this passage this morning? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for our friends that are here. And there may be some that would want to pray and would say, I, I'm, I'm not living this part of Scripture. And, uh, Father, I pray that after the service, as we transition to the youth lunch, uh, that these would grab me and talk to me and say, hey, pray with me. I want to talk about a specific area where I'm failing to be obedient to this passage. I pray for those who are not in Christ, that 
they as well would seek me out and take a few moments and talk about what this means. Father, I pray more than anything else and ask that you would help us each to play the different role that you've called us to play as a part of this body of believers and as your church as a whole. Father, I pray that we would not hold back. We would not be selfish. I pray that we would not be upset or jealous because we're playing this part rather than another part. Father, use the renewed mind to help us to see that this is your good and acceptable will, how you've sovereignly distributed these gifts, and that we would be humble knowing that we don't deserve grace to begin with or even increased gifts of grace to be used in the lives of others. Father, would you help us to um, recognize uh, how you may be gifting us through joy and through effectualness in the lives of others and confirmation of our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to this and that the end result would be that Crosspoint would be built up in love. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.